Hello and welcome to the Tgram, the fortnightly podcast from Rujani Tea. I'm Varun Mahanta. Join me as I host folks from all over the world for conversations around our favorite beverage, tea. Is the kettle on? Is your tea steeping? Perfect. Let's get started. In today's episode, we speak with Indi Khanna. Indi has over four and a half decades of experience in the tea industry and is still counting. Starting his career in 1975 as a young tea planter in South India, his experience stretches from the tea nursery all the way up to the consumer shelves. You can say he literally lives and breathes tea. Indi believes his experience has matured him into a one-of-a-kind unique entity in the tea industry. Hello, Indy. Great to have you on the show. Hi. Hi, Burun. Let's start uh, by asking you a few questions about the many places that you've traveled and worked in during your time as tea. Where have you been with tea? Where all has tea taken you? Well, if you were to look at planting per se, well, then it's been the whole of South India, really. Though I was... Uh, mainly concentrated in the high ranges. And when I left the high ranges in 1979, I moved to Assam, but I was in Upper Assam all my time, which is the South Bank, you know, the areas around Dibrugarh and Tinsukia. And in 1990, when I left Assam, I actually moved to Dubai. And once I was in Dubai, then I, you know, within three years of uh, doing a job and starting my own business, then I started moving around to well, check out on tea everywhere. And when I'm saying everywhere, it's actually a very uh, expansive word, but that's really what it was. So I have traveled very, very extensively in China. I mean, when I'm saying very extensively, I've spent as much as 30, 30 days at one uh, one time in the Southern Republics. I have been giving consultancy services in Iran. I have given consultancy services in some some countries of Africa. And besides which, of course, I've seen tea practically everywhere where it grows, barring Japan and uh, South America, which I haven't visited still. And yes, of course, Australia and New Zealand. That's that's another blank on my page, on my globe. It's never too late to go to these places uh, in the, as you continue to work in the industry. Oh, I, I have all intentions of doing that. It's just a matter of time, really. I will get there sooner or later. My first uh, target really is to get somehow to get to uh, South America because I would need to see the Argentinian industry. Yeah, that 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 will be exciting for sure. Uh, you run a blog post. Uh, you describe in that blog post your stories uh, as from a time from a day when tea planting was a way of life. What was it like then and what is it now? You know, People who've been in the industry and you know are long in the tooth like me will actually understand what I'm saying when I actually say that tea back in that time, and I'm talking about you know mid 70s all the way through to say about 90, it was never a job. It was a way of life. Either you fitted in or you did not. And if you fitted in, then it was a 24 by 7. I mean, nobody ever saw that you know, date or the time or anything. We just worked because we enjoyed it. What I see now, and you know, I, I uh, interact with many, many planters still because of my trading activities. And when I'm saying planters, not just in South India, Assam, Darjeeling, but also in 
say Sri Lanka and wherever. And I find that now it's become, uh, it, 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 people treat it like a job. It's a nine to five job. You've done your day's work and oh, then you're done for and you go back home. That, that sense of passion which used to be there, it's that which is lacking. And, you know, if I may just uh, expand on that, what I find now and the biggest difference from what it was back then is that now I find that the planters have lost respect for the product. I'm sorry that it's, I can't put everybody under that same umbrella, but most people, I would say, uh, they've lost respect for the product and which is why I feel that the product is floundering. You've, uh, you've pretty much worked in the south of India uh, you worked in Assam. I believe you worked in uh, the tea industry in Sri Lanka as well. Oh yes, yes. We set up a small took a, all right. Took up a small factory on Lees uh, way back in oh, when was it? it? Was about two thousand one, two thousand two. Yeah. So all parts of the same area of the world, uh, the Indian subcontinent. Uh, how different are the teas from each of these areas, in your opinion? Well, they're vastly different, really. Uh, I mean, of course, since you know tea as well as I do, it's basically all about the environment, the atmosphere, the wind factors, the slopes, the gradients, the, uh, the, the, the rainfall patterns, the rainfall spread. I mean, there is thousands of little factors which come into play. And, uh, well, while Assam has those nice thick gutty teas, very much like the East African teas, especially during the second flush period. When you look at Darjeeling, you have these very flavorful teas which don't have much body. And But when you look at South India, well, where I am right now, which is the Nilgiris, this used to be at one time considered to be the Darjeeling of the South. And uh, unfortunately, they've lost it. But if you look at South India and you look at Sri Lanka, very, very similar in many ways, barring the fact that the Sri Lankans produce a much better cup of tea right now. But these are teas which, well, depending on the elevation, they have a certain amount of body and this have a certain amount of flavor. Mm -hmm. And the one uh, overriding factor which we have over the Assam teas, uh, when I'm saying overriding factor in South India and Sri Lanka, is that the teas don't cloud. Because they don't cloud, they are you know well sought after for things like iced tea applications. You speak of the gradient and the uh, and the wind factor and the rain. So it's it's pretty much about the terroir of, of, of each of these regions. Would you compare it to somewhat like a wine region in the? Well, it's absolutely that. Absolutely 100% that. Uh, but the only thing is, you see, the wine uh, culture has evolved over many centuries and it has kept improving. Whereas in our case, I mean, you know, you look at barring China, which continues to innovate and improve, the rest of us seem to have just got into some single one rut and we're doing exactly what has been done. And when I'm saying we, I'm sorry, I'm uh, keeping myself aside from that. But there is generally a rut which people have got into and there is just this, you know, uh, a single sort of point agenda to make the tea. Sorry, to go back to the terroirs, the other place where I worked very extensively is in uh, Northwest India. I don't know if you know uh, Dharamsala or the, the yeah. Kangra Valley. So I actually mentor somebody in, in the Kangra Valley. 
and uh, I have always maintained that the teas from the Kangra Valley could actually be streets ahead of what is produced in Darjeeling if only those people would get back to making tea. They don't currently. They make, I mean, they do all sorts of silly things and uh, well, because of which they're lagging behind. So you've, you've had great many experiences as a tea planter in all these regions. Uh, now, you know, we, uh, our, our uh, tea plantation is in Assam and our brand is rooted in Assam. Do you have any favorite story from your days in Assam? Oh, I've got so many stories, but uh, I'm, I'm sorry, not meaning to uh, sell myself, but actually, if you really want to read the stories, just get onto my blog post. And they are, I've actually already published about 15, 16, and I'm queued up one every fortnight till the end of December. So your blogs make for very good reading, Indy. I've been following it for uh, the last few weeks now, leading up to this uh, talk. They're very interesting. I, I find them very interesting. You know, having grown in the region, I can relate to them very much. But tell us uh, a tidbit of what you would experience, let's say, on a club day in SM. Oh, that was something we used to look forward to. It used to be absolutely wonderful because we'd all let our hair down and we'd have a blast uh, knowing fully well that regardless of whatever time we left the club, we had to be at muster at 6.30 and that was 6.30 garden time, which would relate to 5.30 IST. So it, it was a different lifestyle altogether. But since you asked for one particular one, I can tell you a, a little story and I hope I'm not going to get in, in fact, it's going to appear on my blog sooner or later. So it doesn't really matter. It's about when I was in the Panitola area, uh, a club was well, the Panitola club, what's called the Kanjikova club. And uh, we used to play a fair amount of cards, which was basically flash to what you call Teenpati. And there was a good amount of gambling, though. In those days, we had very little money. So it used to be, you know, counted in terms of you know, 50 pesos and rupees. Well, there was one Diwali session when I was winning. I just kept winning for some odd reason. And there was a friend's wife. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to name names now. And, uh, you know, she used to sit next to me. And every now and then she'd sort of dip into my little kitty of money to replenish her fast depleting stock and this went on and well Diwali gave over and my wife used to get bloody pissed off with me that why does this lady keep dipping into your money and I said it's okay it doesn't really matter but uh, lo and behold one day in the club she con confronted this lady and she said you know you owe my husband a lot of money and uh, the lady said yeah I know she said when are you going to pay him so this lady said listen I don't really know I, I honestly we don't have that sort of money here so my wife said, she said, I don't care. You have to pay him. And next morning, I had a tractor outside my bungalow. And on the tractor was a cow. And this lady had sent her cow <laughs> to pay off her debt. So paid off in kind and, and fully paid off, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> You've lived and worked in the Nilgiris in, uh, in South India for some time now. So how did you eventually arrive in the Nilgiris? It's a little bit of a strange thing. You see, I, I had moved from Dubai to Colombo and I was, we were five years in Sri Lanka and I had uh, already started producing these high quality specialty teas in, on a small estate. We'd taken on lease. Uh, 
I was working with a friend of mine, an uh, ex-planter uh, in Sri Lanka. And then, you know, in 2005, was it? Yeah, 2005, I just have to be somewhere close to tea. So my choices were pretty limited. I could either go to Calcutta or I could come to Cochin. Now, Calcutta, not quite my favorite city. So I moved Lockstock, not me, my whole, I mean, my wife and my daughters. My son was at the time in Univin, Canada, so he was not there. But the three of us moved Lockstock and Barrel to Cochin. And we just about settled in. We were there for about four or five months, really. And uh, I had a friend of mine in Delhi who's in the organic food trade who called to say that, listen, I want to buy an estate and convert it to organic. My my skin was only uh, sweat equity. And we set up this company. Now, once we'd set up the company, now the thing was that we needed an estate. And in South India, the only really marketable area as such, uh, Terawa, is the Nilgiris. You know, the other good area is, of course, the high ranges, but that's a captive area which used to belong to Tata Tea at that time. Now it's KDHP. So I started coming up to the Nilgiris to look for an estate. Uh, in two months, I made five trips up. And on my fifth trip, I thought to myself, I said, what the hell am I doing living in Cochin in any case when I could be living on this little heaven on earth? So just found a house which I could take on lease, a beautiful house, actually. Uh, went down, told my wife, listen, we're moving up to Kunur. And uh, my wife said, where the hell is that? I said, don't worry, you love the place. Called the packers and movers, shoved our dogs in, shoved everything in. We came up to Kunur. Now, when you drive into Kunur, you actually first hit what is the old part of Kunur. And that really is just a village, just an overgrown village. My wife took one look at that and she was livid. I had six months of heavy hell in my house. We would be scrapping every single day. I finally got fed up and I told her, I said, listen, you want to go anywhere? You're welcome to go. The only way I'm leaving this place is horizontally. And that was, well, that was 15, 16 years ago. Six months later, you couldn't use a, <laughs> a tractor winch to pull my wife out. And so that's it. This is home where we are. This is where we are. This is home. The house we built is called Thikana. Now, Thikana in Hindi or Urdu basically means, well, uh, it's like your final place. Or it's what like the sailors would call your anchorage. And uh, so this is where we are. I have no intentions of ever leaving this place. Uh, people ask me when I roam around whether I'm a retired person. And I have to keep explaining to them that <laughs> the only way I'll ever retire is when I kick the bucket. I have to go with my shoes on. But uh, this is home. And this is where we, we, I have made a life for myself. You're listening to The Tea Grab the fortnightly podcast from Rujani Tea. To explore our world of Assam Tea, visit the links on our podcast page or follow our social media handle Rujani Tea on your preferred channel. That's spelled R-U-J-A-N-I-T-E-A. If you're enjoying this podcast, we'd love for you to follow us, rate this episode and spread the word. Now back to the podcast. So tell us a little bit more about the tea in the region. Is you know what's life as a tea professional in the Nilgiris today? 
Well, Borun, see, I wouldn't sort of call myself a tea professional in that that sense of the word. You see, when but if I was to look at say South India per se, well, the only two regions which are actually producing some what I would say passable quality of tea is basically the Nilgiris and the high ranges. And yes, there's the Anomalies. These are all high elevation areas where you still got some corporates, uh, corporate houses uh, who own and run orthodox factories and orthodox estates. So they, because of having to produce or because they are producing orthodox teas, they have to maintain a certain standard of plucking and leaf intake. The bulk of what happens here in, well, especially in the Nilgiris, you see 95% of the tea in the Nilgiris is all by, uh, held by smallholders. Now, when I'm saying smallholders, you have holdings which are as tiny as one acre going up to 10 acres, 12 acres, stuff like that. And so it's like a patchwork quilt around here. Now, these people who own these small plots, they really have no, they don't even have two pennies, pennies to rub together because Greenleaf just does not pay them what they require. And so over the years, I couldn't even call it a plucking standard any longer. Generally, the, the cultivation habits have gone totally through the window and all, they, they don't even pluck any longer. I say they rape the bush and all that absolutely miserable, horrible leaf lands up in these, there's about, oh, there's over, over 500 bot leaf factories in this region. And this tea is all just, leaf is all sent into there, absolutely throwaway prices. And they churn it out into some miserable CTCs. But then the, the upside of that is that those miserable CTCs is what is today in India accepted as being the benchmark for tea. You know, because of the because of the way the general public drinks its tea. And so that's what's keeping this place alive. Otherwise, by now, this industry would have shut down. On the other hand, we have these the, the corporate estates, which are producing fairly decent. I won't say the best, but fairly decent teas. But unfortunately, they still don't compare with the Sri Lankans. Again, for no other reason, because the cultivation systems here are totally different. And there is a acute shortage of labor in the region. Now, uh, in fact, we've had a, a reverse migration here. Early on, South Indians used to go to the Northeast to work. Now it's people coming in from the Northeast. Well, not quite the North, Northeast, but, you know, towards the Eastern part of India. Jharkhand and West Bengal and all, who are coming into work and they're the ones who are keeping the industry alive here. And you are making inroads into the area to make a difference and create a specialty tea uh, in the region. Tell us a little bit about your current project, Indy. Well, you see, uh, after I moved to the Nilgiris, like I said, this was 2005, you know, I looked around me and I said, you know, why can't we be doing something better? Now, the reason I, I used to say this is because I had seen what was happening in China. I realized that there was a much better way to handle the product and to make a much better quality of tea. Then I'd spent five years in Sri Lanka where also the, the bush is treated with a huge amount of respect. 
which is what I found lacking here. And so I started trying to, well, you know, I'd go to the club here. We have two clubs here and I'm a member of both. I used to, you know, go shoot my mouth off and say, why don't you people do something better? You know, there is a much better way of doing things. But the way we go to Indians are we like little, you know, crabs in a little bucket. We don't don't even want to look out of that bucket or if we try, we get pulled down. And all I kept hearing was, ah, nah, you can't tell us anything. Nobody can tell us anything. We know what is to be done best. And I had to keep reminding people. I said, listen, I respect the fact that, you know, you've got about 200 years of tea making experience in this region. I said, you must understand these other fellows have got 5,000 years of experience. They must know something better. But it was just, you know, it used to be just thrown over everybody's shoulder. Nobody would, they thought I was a madman. So I just decided that I would, you know, put my money where my mouth is. And uh, I, well, I drew up a proposal. And then because I don't have any tea area and I can't afford to buy a tea area, I needed somebody who had an estate who would sort of uh, partner with me. Well, finally, I got one company. It's called Matheson Basongkwe. And the managing director of that, he's much younger than me, fellow called Abhishek Potar. He said, let's do it. So sometime in about 2008, I think it was, we set up something called the Boutique Factory. Uh, I was a 45% uh, owner of that. Abhishek was 55. And uh, I brought in the entire machinery from China from you know, having learned what they do and having spent so much time in China. And we started producing some really, really decent teas, which we were selling. But, you know, in the meantime, having established that there is a market for good teas, you know, I, I just, it just became a sort of a, like a passion that I must somehow do it again. And so I set up this company called Tea Studio Private Limited. Again, same thing, finances were the problem. So I invited a couple of friends to invest with me. Eventually, I've got uh, three partners in India who all live in the Nilgiris. And I have one partner in the UK uh, who used to be heading Finlay's Leaf Tea at one time. Again, these are people I've had relationships with for a very long time. And then there was Camellia Sinensis in Montreal. Kevin and I go back oh, maybe about 25 years. We've been traveling together. And so the six of us got together. There were, I mean, you know, four of them were totally disconnected with tea, I would say. And we set up this company and we built up this, what I, what everybody tells me is a beautiful factory. It's called the Tea Studio. And again, brought in entire machinery from China. But then went a step ahead. We decided to make it 100% non-polluting and absolutely environmentally friendly. So our factory is, well, it's run by electricity, but all our heat source is from LPG, which is a much, much more expensive uh, process or option. But we just decided to do that. And, you know, we, we were in fact, are still today the only factory in India which is running on LPG. And in fact, my daughter, which is Muskan, she, she actually has a certificate from the IOC, from the Indian Oil Corporation, calling her the pioneer of LPG usage in uh, tea factories in India. So that is, that is one aspect of it. 
The second is we are spotlessly clean. We produce very little. We are not interested in volume. We are interested in uh, quality. So we buy our leaf from the small holders around. And when I say small holders, it's people who have, you know, half an acre, one acre around us. And over the years, we've taught them exactly what we want. So against what the industry pays for green leaf in this area, which is, you know, anything between 20 to 30 rupees, we pay ranging from 100 rupees to 225 rupees because we want absolutely the right size of and quality of leaf. Uh, this little tea studio is totally a women-run operation. There's not a single man around. It's just seven women. My daughter Muskan is the head honcho, and uh, she runs her team. So, and you know, because a leaf comes from these small holders who have absolutely no money to spend on any of this sort of rubbish. I mean, I'm. It's a. Uh, this is just. Uh, guess estimate but I believe that for the last 30-35 years none of them has ever used any chemicals on their uh, on their areas because they can't afford it so when we get red spider here these people just wait for the rain to come down to wash it off if we get the blister here they wait for the sun to come out so while we have not been able to get our tea certified organic because of the well, circumstances and because we are spread out all over the place where our leaf comes from, we do sell our teas as being naturally organic. And we've had them tested. We've had them tested in labs all over. And they're spotlessly 100% clean, uh, meeting the strictest EU norms. When you ask me to speak to you, I, I, I grab opportunities like this because, you know, I, I always try and explain to people that this is not a product. It's a living, breathing thing. It needs passion. It needs respect. And so, you know, I try and inculcate that into people. And so I'm, I'm very happy to, you know, sort of speak about it, hoping that it will filter down somewhere. If I hit even one person who starts thinking like me, mind you, I have had uh, people in Darjeeling who've come in to see what I'm doing and who have now started copying me. In fact, uh, as we speak, uh, somebody is sending one of their tea makers down to spend a week with us to learn. And I'm always happy to teach because, you know, people tell me that I'm creating competition. And I, I have always maintained that, listen, it's never competition. It's a growing market. And the more people see better teas, the more we'll have people turning towards better teas. You know, that's really a great story to hear. In fact, you know, while we come to the end of this episode, we'll be learning a lot more about the tea studio next time on the T-Gram when we speak with Muskan, your daughter, who manages the project uh, with the all-woman team that you speak of. Thank you so much for uh, spending this time with us today, Indy. Thanks. Thanks for sharing your story. Thanks so much, Boru. You take care. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Send me your questions about today's episode and suggestions on what you'd like us to cover next here on the Tgram. The email address is thetgram at rujanitea.com. For a fix of the choicest teas from Assam, visit our websites and stay connected through our social channels. And you can find all the links on the podcast description banner. I'll see you here again in two weeks. Till then, take care.